Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good morning, everyone. It is Wednesday, September the 14th, 2022. It is currently 1022 a.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Now today, it's all about one book in the Bible, and that is the book of Amos. Now, I don't know if I should say that's what the whole day is about, but we're going to start the day with Amos, and then if everything works out as planned, at 7 p.m. tonight, live streaming all across the internet, we'll be continuing our observational reading of Amos, starting in chapter, the goal is chapter 6. This is what we're going to try to do tonight. We're going to try to do an observational reading from Victory Baptist Church in Ovalo, Texas. We'll be doing chapter 6, 7, 8, and 9. I don't know if we can make it through all of those chapters, but we're going to try to start as close to 7 as we can and just jump in and see if we can finish the observational reading. The goal, really, in reality, we need, we must finish the observational reading tonight at Victory Baptist Church. We have to because we are, we, we've got to move on in our study. Now, if you're brand new, welcome. You've missed so very much. You're so way behind. But the easiest way to catch up, download the Church One app. That's Church O-N-E. Search for us, Theology Central. That's Church O-N-E. Church O-N-E. Search, uh, search for Theology Central. Make us our your chosen broadcaster. And then find the series Bible Study Exercise and go back and listen to everything we've done so far in the book of Amos. Now, what, what led us into the book of Amos is we spent a couple of episodes learning a Bible study method. We're calling it the most comprehensive book Bible study method in existence, I know that's that's a mouthful, but it's a comprehensive book Bible study method where we take four different Bible study methods and put, put them together. We got the book background, we got the book survey, we got the chapter analysis, and we've got the book synthesis. And we're, we're, we've definitely put these things together to try to create one comprehensive method. And then after I taught the method, I'm like, okay, what book do you guys want to study? And I only gave everyone like 15 minutes to answer. And then I was just like, it's the book of Amos. Your, your choice doesn't matter. Okay. So we've been working on the book of Amos. We've done the book background. We've done the book survey. And we're re really right now kind of in the chapter analysis. But at, for, for, at church, I've been doing the observational reading because I just think it's so important to, to see observational reading in, in practice and action because so many people read and interpret when you're supposed to read and observe. So, and we've even seen the struggles we're having. Well, it's very difficult to do a pure observational reading at church because I have to try to obviously give people something, you know, like in a, you know, a message kind of way, but uh, it's still been a fun exercise. So we're going to finish that tonight. But what I'm adding to our discussion is because we've been given permission by Through the Bible Ministries, J, J, the late J. Vernon McGee, his uh, ministry, they've given us permission to use their content. Now, technically, I, I can just play his content. I don't have to offer anything. I have permission to play it. But what we're doing here is we're kind of using it like we kind of do a sermon review, but we're just kind of, we're kind of just listening to what he had to say in regards to the book of Amos, and we're kind of walking through it. In the last episode, we listened to J. Vernon McGee kind of give a little background study to the man, Amos, um, 
we we were a little concerned that there was a lot of embellishing going on and adding things and creating a picture that may not be completely accurate to the text. You can draw your own conclusion. But then we've kind of reached uh, Amos chapter one, basically verse two. Well, he, he's gonna he's kind of kind of enter into the actual chapter now. So we're gonna listen to J. Vernon McGee work through Amos chapter one. Um, kind of just this is to add to people who are working on the kind of verse-by-verse chapter analysis uh, of chapter one. This is to add and assist in that to supplement what you're already doing. Remember, the goal of the Bible study exercise is not for you to listen to me. Uh, you listen to me to kind of guide you, but it's to get you actually studying for yourself. So I'm adding this to supplement what you're doing. It may help. It may challenge it may make you go, wait a minute, I haven't thought of that. Whatever I can do to help, that will be wonderful. So uh, hopefully tonight we finish the observational reading. Hopefully right now we finish this kind of kind of a verse-by-verse walkthrough of Amos chapter 1, and then we will just see uh, where the study, how the study develops moving forward. Um, I, I hope uh, it's going well. Of course, if you're out there and you need any help or assistance, you can email me anytime, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. Also know there's curriculum available. If you want the curriculum, just email me, newsif at yahoo.com. We send you a link. It's free to you. I do want to thank those who support us. Uh, someone uh, sent us a donation uh, today. Someone sent us a donation yesterday. We greatly appreciate that. That helped covers the cost for the curriculum and the, all the books that we sent out and uh, all the different things that we're always trying to do. But what we're trying to do is get Christians studying the Bible, actually focused on the scripture, meaningful Bible study. And I hope we are accomplishing that in some way. For those who have been participating, I'm very appreciative uh, you are a constant encouragement and motivator for me to continue to do this series because, look, I know that I can turn on this microphone and talk about controversial issues. I know I can talk about what's going on in Christianity, about the news, and I could definitely build an audience much faster than trying to find people out there who want to just engage in meaningful Bible study, all right? So I know that this is, is in a sense, not helping the numbers and, and the number of subscribers and listeners, but I think this is what's necessary right now. I think if you look at the state of the church, they're already too distracted with politics and news and controversy and debate and arguing. If we could just get Christians to say the word of God, let me study it. Let me read it. Let me, let me, let me get involved with it. Let me care about it. I, I think it would be a major help. So we're doing what we can to say, hey, For anyone out there who actually wants to engage in Bible study, then please subscribe to this podcast and we'll do our best to help you in that goal of yours, in that desire of yours. So I'm going to stop talking. We're going to go back to J. Vernon McGee. Amos chapter one, have a Bible open, have your notebook ready. Here we go. I'm presented here at the beginning now. I go back to chapter 1 and start here that we might see the message of the man. I think now we know a little something about this man. He's a fearless man, an outstanding man, and he is giving out a message. But the thing that really startles me is that this man has a world view. He has a global conception. He speaks first here to the nations that were contiguous to and surrounded the nation Israel. 
and he spoke to the great world powers of that day. Now, that wasn't something new. Later on, the other prophets did it also. You find that Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and certainly Daniel. But the method of those men was first to speak of God's judgment of the nation Israel. Then they would take up the different nations. Now, Amos reverses that method. He speaks of God's judgment of the nations round about. Now, when he... Now, just remember that the other prophets start with Israel, then go to the other nations. Amos reverses the order, starts with the other nations, then moves to Israel. Is there any significance in that observation? See, that's just an observation of fact. That's, that's what you see. Wait, he starts with the nations and goes to Israel. The other books start with Israel and go to the nations. That's just a, that's a fact. Now, sometimes we can observe a fact and make more out of it than we should. Sometimes we can observe a fact and ignore it when we shouldn't. So do you think there's anything significant to that? Do you think it means anything? Is it any kind of a hermeneutical key? Let, let me know. I, I'm, I'm curious. I, I just think it is an interesting observation. Let's continue. Spoke at first there at the king's chapel. God was going to judge Syria. And God was going to judge these other nations that were round about, Philistia, Phoenicia, and Edom, and Ammon, and Moab. Why, everybody filled the king's chapel. He really was drawing a crowd because they were very glad for him to preach on the sins of the Moabites, you see, but not on their sins. There are a great many people today, they like for the preacher to preach on the sins of the Moabites, which they committed 4,000 years ago, or even longer. And that's all right, but don't step on our toes or you're in real trouble. Well, this man, this is one place he exercises, it seems to me, a great deal of diplomacy. And he was an eloquent man and this part, if you remember from yesterday, is somewhat interesting because in he, kind of his intro, he kind of said that Amos wasn't necessarily diplomatic. He seemed to paint him not as an eloquent speaker, but as kind of like a country bumpkin and, and like, and, and you're, you know, like uneducated and, and, and didn't know much and he didn't fit it. And now he kind of paints a different picture, which is kind of weird. Like, why would you paint one picture and then he almost immediately reverse it? And you may not think he reversed it that much, but it still seems like, I think he got so caught up in his embellishing and adding and painting this picture that then once he starts, I, I don't know. It's just, You can draw your own conclusions. Here we go. Although he was out yonder from the desert and he was a country preacher, he had the language of a Shakespeare. And some of his statements are eloquent statements and he was, in my judgment, a great preacher. I disagree with Amaziah, who told him that he ought to get out of town. I disagree with Amaziah. Now I'm reading verse 1 of chapter 1. The words of Amos, who was among the herdsmen of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Isaiah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, 
the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. I'll not go into detail about the date. That earthquake is mentioned by Zechariah nearly 200 years after this. It was, according to Josephus, took place during the reign of Isaiah. Now, this is interesting that he tries to kind of pinpoint what earthquake this is referring to, because if you, if you pick up a lot of other commentaries, you will read something like this. We have no independent record of this earthquake, so that phrase is no help to us in dating. <laughs> so, J. Vernon McGee, oh, we know exactly what earthquake this is. And Josephus tells us, tells us when it happens. Other commentators are like, we have no independent record. We have no idea what earthquake this is referring to. This doesn't help us in dating. Now, that's frustrating because it should either be we have a record or we don't have. It can't be both. So how can there be such vastly difference in opinions and what to do with that earthquake? You, you, I would, this is what I would challenge you. Remember when you're, especially when you start going through the chapter analysis and you go through verse by verse, there's things that can be interesting. But when you, when you realize that, wait a minute, I'm not sure this is actually going to be of any actual help in understanding the chapter or the message. You got to know when to just say, mm, I'm going to let that go and move on. I'm going to move on. I'm going to move on. Doesn't mean some other day, it's a rainy day and you got nothing to do. You're like, mm, that earthquake, I'm going to go back and spend uh, this rainy day trying to figure out when that earthquake occurred. By all means, you always want to you always want to have a notebook, and a sense kind of just things to study, things to look at. Just at any when you're like, I don't really know what to study today. You can go to your notebook and just see that list of things, right? And when you finish one, check it off. When you finish one, check it off, and you can keep adding and adding and adding and adding and adding. Because whenever you're like, I don't really know what to study today, you can always have that notebook with things to study. But you got to know sometimes, like. Mm, do we, do we try to figure out, do we know when this earthquake was? Well, these people say, here's pro, we know when this earthquake happened, and here's team, we don't know, and try to figure out which team is right. I think if you do that, you're just going to miss the point of Amos chapter 1. So, it's always hard to figure out. You got to ask yourself, is, is this pursuit going to help me understand Amos chapter 1? Better interpret it and better understand the message. If not, then write it in a notebook and come back to it later. Be that as it may, that is really not the important thing other than it does help us to see that he was a contemporary with Hosea and he's one of the first of the prophets and he is a prophet to the northern kingdom. Now, will you notice? And he said, the Lord will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem, and the inhabitants of the shepherd shall mourn, and the top of Carmel shall wither. Now, this, of course, is very figurative language in many ways, and very eloquent. The Lord will roar from Zion. Now, you will recall that Joel used that expression later on. It suggests the roar of a lion as it pounces upon its prey. And believe me, this is some way to begin. The Lord will roar from Zion like a lion, and it speaks of the coming judgment of God. That's the main thing right there. 
We talked about, does this roar, is a roar of a storm, a roar of a lion? We, we kind of looked at, we looked up the Hebrew word, kind of points us more to the lion concept. But here's the thing you really need to understand, that this, the Lord roars from Zion is the idea that a message of judgment, the first two chapters of Amos describes the judgment of the Lord, first against Gentile nations, then against Judah, then Israel. The Lord roars from Zion. It's a roar of judgment. That's the main thing you have to, to, to know. It's a roar of judgment, but it is figurative language, which can create major problems because when do we take it as figurative and do, when do we take it as extremely literal? That's going to be the, uh, well, we'll see if that creates a problem later on in the book. Okay, so the Lord roars from Zion, a message of judgment. That's the main thing you need to take from that upon the nations that were round about. And the habitations of the shepherds shall mourn and the top of Carmel shall wither. And that speaks, apparently, of a drought that was coming and of a famine that would come upon the land. Now, he talks about a famine, a drought that's going to come upon upon the land. I... I, I, (laughs) I asked everyone to tell me what they think. I haven't heard from anyone yet, but let's go through this. First, uh, he's going to roar from Zion. He's going to roar from Zion, and then he's going to utter his voice from Jerusalem. Now, I think there's a possibility. The reason he's emphasizing he's going to utter his voice from Jerusalem is because it's contrasting Jerusalem from what Israel had done and establishing basically rival centers of worship in Dan, Bethel, and Gilgal. They set up other places of worship as centers of worship in Dan, Bethel, and Gilgal. So when it it says the Lord speaks from Jerusalem, it's reminding Israel where the true center of worship is, where God is. You've got your places of worship, but God is going to utter his voice, as it says, he's going to utter uh, his voice from Jerusalem. In other words, your places of worship are in are in rival or is in is in conflict with the true God because the true God is going to utter His voice from Jerusalem, which is the true center of worship. I think that that's kind of what is going on here, and the shepherds mourning and the top of Carmel withers. I'm not so sure or melts. I think the King James uses the word melts. Uh, see here, uh, no withers it uses the word withers. Um, I'm not so sure that this is drought and famine. I'm open to the idea. Others would state it this way. Uh, Amos was, since Amos was a shepherd himself, he knew how the judgment of God could affect the land. Okay, well, I guess this part may be. If, if God withheld rain, sent plagues, or allowed conquering armies to come upon the land, it made the pastures of the shepherds mourn. So I guess it could refer to plague, famine, the drought, I guess it could, but it also could simply refer to uh, conquering armory, armies coming upon the land. So may, maybe that part's open. But the next part, the top of Carmel withers. I don't know if, I, I'm not so sure that has anything to do with drought and plague. I'm not so sure because if you think Mount Carmel, I, I think you would agree it's a prominent. It was prominent in the north of, in, in the north of Israel. It's the site of Elijah's dramatic confrontation with the prophets of Baal, First Kings eighteen nineteen through forty. Since Elijah served before the time of Amos, it may be that Amos was reminding Israel of the victory of the Lord God over Israel. 
hey, Carmel's going to wither. Carmel, where? And, and it's almost like just as in the past, Mount Carmel was a place where idolatry was destroyed. Guess what? Idolatry is about to be destroyed again. Is it more about idolatry or is it more about famine and drought? Now, the, the point is you can, you can get like 10 commentaries and you're going to get all kinds of different ideas. So what do we do? So this is the problem. You're going to go, well, how, what do I do? What do I do? Okay, sometimes when you realize everyone's got a different opinion, you got to take a step back and go, what's the basic message? Well, the Lord will roar from Jerusalem. Judgment is coming. This judgment um, uh, and the, uh, is, is from Jerusalem and the habitations of the shepherds shall mourn and the top of Carmel shall wither. Obviously, judgment is coming and negative, bad things are going to occur. Whether we can clearly identify them, they're mourning because judgment is coming, whether that judgment shows up in drought, famine, plague, or armies, and the Mount Carmel is going to wither, that that judgment is coming. And, and yeah, you, you, you may want to go a different, you may want to try to explain it. Sometimes you just got to make sure you understand at least the main concept of it. It would be a famine that would extend throughout the entire land. I came over Carmel, where Haifa is, and I noticed how beautiful it is there, and the wonderful shrubbery they have today, and the lovely flowers that are there. Must have been that way in the day of Amos, also in the day of Elijah. But now there is coming this drought that Carmel, that was so beautiful, shall wither. Now we have in verse 3 a section, and I think probably I ought to give you something of the outline. To understand the book of the Bible, you ought to outline it. That's what we send out for every book of the Bible, outlines and notes on it. Now we have here judgment on the surrounding nations that is, the nations that surround Israel. And that begins here now with the very first verse here, and it goes down in chapter 2 through verse 3. And there are certain nations that are taken up. Now, the first nation that is considered is Syria, and Damascus was the capital of it. Now, will you notice Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not turn away its punishment because they have thrashed Gilead with threshing instruments of iron. Now, what are we talking about here? Well, may I say to you, when he says not for just three and not for four, he's not attempting to give you a list of them. He means not three and not four, and he could have said not five, not six, for many transgressions. In other words, the cup of iniquity was filled up, and nothing now could hold back the judgment of God that was coming upon that land. Now, he says that the thing that they have done, they have used these thrashing instruments. Those thrashing instruments were sharp and they were to beat out the grain. And that's the way that they had treated Gilead. Now, what does he mean by Gilead? Well, Gilead 
was on the east bank of the Jordan. It was the land that actually came up as far as the Sea of Galilee. And you have Reuben and Manasseh, rather the half-tribe of Manasseh, and Gad, the tribe of Gad, they stayed over on the wrong side. And Syria, that's right north of there, came down. Now, they had come down against God's people and just thrashed them. And he is judging them for their cruelty, for their brutality, and for their cruelty. Now, we're going to see that that has a record in the historical books of the Bible. And there's always a different reason that God judges these other nations. I read verse 4 now. But I will send a fire. So just that we have a little bit of information here. The region of Gilead belonged to Israel. And God promised to judge Damascus and the Syrians for coming against the land of God's people and inflicting such complete destruction that it would be as if a deep plow had been run through the land. Threshing sledges with iron prongs or teeth are probably a figure of speech implying extreme cruelty and utter thoroughness and the treatment of those who oppose. So the idea, once again, we have figurative language that, hey, you threshed them. You came through. You, 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 in, you inflicted great cruelty upon them. All right. And then if you look at that verse, look at verse uh, three. Thus saith the Lord for three transgressions of Damascus and for four. In other words, sin upon sin upon sin upon sin. All right. I, I, I'm, I'm going to bring judgment. I will not turn away punishment because you have threshed Gilead with threshing and instruments of iron. Um, and then it says, but I will send a fire in the house of Hazel, which devour the palaces of Ben-Hadad. I will break also the bar of Damascus, cut off the inhabitants from the plain of Avon, and, uh, and him that holdeth the scepter from the house of Eden and the people of Syria shall go into captivity unto Kerr, saith the Lord. So you've got Damascus, you've got Syria, you've got these other places. We do know this, the people of, of Syria shall go to captive to Kerr. This seems to have been fulfilled in 2 Kings 16, 9, which describes when the Assyrians attacked Syria because King Ahaz of Judah paid them to. So the king of Syria heeded him, for the king of Assyria went up against Damascus and took it and carried the people to Kerr and killed Rezin. 2 Kings 16, 9 seems to be where this was fulfilled, it seems to be. Into the house of Hazael, which shall devour the palaces of Ben-Hadad. I will break also the bar of Damascus, cut off the inhabitant from the plain of Avon, and him that holdeth the scepter from the house of Eden. And the people of Syria shall go into captivity under Kerr, saith the Lord. Now, what we have here is God's judgment upon the nation Syria in that day. Damascus was the capital of it. And this was actually all literally fulfilled. And I didn't really intend to do that today, but I think that I'll turn back to Second Kings, the 10th chapter, verses 32 and 33. And I think we'll see there the judgment of God upon this. 
nation. I'm reading now 2 Kings 10th chapter, verse 32 and 33. In those days the Lord began to cut Israel short, and Hazel smote them in all the coasts of Israel, from Jordan eastward, all the land of Gilead, the Gadites, and the Reubenites, and the Manassites, from Arior, which is by the river Arnon, from Gilead and Bashan. Now, the land of Gilead was the place where the tribe of Gad and Reuben and the half-tribe of Manasseh were located on the east side of the Jordan River. And Syria came down against them first and actually destroyed them. But now a fire is coming upon Haziel, the king, and the palaces of Ben-Hadad. Now, if you've ever been to Damascus, you actually don't see there today the original city or the original location. They claim it's the oldest city in the world. Actually, it has shifted around in that section in many different places. It's been burnt to the very ground, and this was one of the occasions when this took place. Now, he speaks here that he had even cut off the inhabitant from the plain of Avon. Well, now, where is the plain of Avon? If you travel from Beirut to Damascus, you go by a place that's known as Baalbek. Well, Baalbek is actually in the plain of Avon. And the ruins there are spectacular. Later on, the Romans, because it's such a lovely area, they attempted to put in a great population there. And those temples there certainly testified to it. But actually, that place, Baalbek, has been destroyed. And the great population is no longer in that area. Now, they were to be taken captive by the Assyrians. That means their captivity under Kerr. That was a province in the Assyrian Empire. It's well to have our geography before us. It makes all of this understandable. And you must remember when you're reading the Bible, you're not reading about the never-never land, and you are not reading about some place that's in outer space. We're talking about reality. Even when you talk about heaven in the Bible, you're talking about reality. Now, will you notice verse 6? Thus saith the Lord, for three... Now, I'm going to stop right here and give you a little homework assignment, all right? Very important, all right? So, Amos makes, gives you this, is it a prophecy or is he reminding them what happened, all right? So, thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions before, I will not turn away from the punishment, therefore, because they have threshed Gilead, but I will send fire and I will break the bar of Damascus, right? And then we, we read that. Now, that sounds like something that's going to happen. Now, everyone says it's fulfilled. He went to 2 Kings 10, which is interesting. I think the fulfillment may be in 2 Kings chapter 16, verse 9. So, here is the thing. When was Amos speaking these words. What year was Amos speaking these words, right? Was it before 2 Kings 16, 9, 
or was it after 2 Kings 16.9? When, when does 2 Kings 16.9 have, when does the events of 2 Kings as they were recorded, when do those events occur, right? When do those events occur, uh, occur and when does Amos speak these words? If the events occur before Amos speaks these words, then didn't do we do we read this as hey this will happen or does he speak it before the events in second kings occur that i think because everyone says second kings is the fulfillment if second kings is the fulfillment then amos would have to speak those words before that what, look at the dating and just see if there's what you find I, i'm not going to tell you anything i'm not going to give you any clues tell me what you find i want to be i I almost want to, I almost want to, <laughs> I almost want to uh, uh, bribe people into doing that. I'll, I'll get, I'll send you something. Okay. But, but no, just for the fun, the, the, the pleasure and the privilege of studying God's word, figure out the dating for Amos, the events, the events of Amos. When, when is he speaking these words? And when do the events of second Kings chapter 16, verse nine occur? Right? You say, well, the answer is obvious. It may be, but I want you to look at it. It may not be obvious. I want you to look it up. I want you to see if we find anything here. He appear, appears, and it's weird. He went to 2 Kings 10 and ignored 2 Kings 16.9. Looks like you would have to go to 2 Kings 16.9. Feels like you absolutely have to. You, you, you can, we'll, we'll see. Let's, let's continue. The transgressions of Gaza. And for four, as we said before, that is an idiomatic expression that means that there could be listed here quite a few of them. In other words, again, may I say it, the cup of iniquity must be filled up. Now, Gaza was in Philistia, or the Philistine. Okay, someone says, okay, I was confused by that because it all seems future. I know, I know. So, so... Either the per that, that someone that someone just said that in chat. Sometimes I don't tell people who's listening who I'm talking to. Now there's no one in the room. There's no one in the room. I'm I'm talking to someone in, in the chat. Yes, I I agree. So what's the dating of the the events of Second Kings compared to the dating of the book of Amos? And not the books, the events in the book. Remember, you can have the dating of the book that comes maybe like like the dating of Gen the dating for the writing of Genesis is far different than the, the time timing of the event. So make sure you look up not just when the book was written, but when did the events occur? Right? So when did the events of Second Kings occur compared to when Amos said these words? Is it a prophecy or is it, hey, this, this is what happened? That's a whole different way of interpreting it, right? Because if he's saying, hey, listen, guys, like he's getting ready. The reason he starts with all of these other nations is because before he gets to Israel, he's reminding them of all the ways God has judged other nations. Or is it just all this is going to happen and this is going to happen and this is going to happen? Which is it? Oh, this could be a fun day causing everyone to be confused. All right, but you, you got to go find the dates. You got, I'm not. I'm not going to give it away. I'm not. No, I. I do not get paid enough money to give you answers. I, I just get paid enough to give you questions. You want more answers? I need more money. I'm joking. No, I'm doing this because I'm trying to get. Um, you see, there are five 
Thus saith the Lord sections are all five in different places. I'm not sure I understand the question. In the Bible, that is. I'm assuming they're in different places. I, I'm assuming. I don't know if I'm. I don't know if I'm being asked to. <laughs> I, I don't know exact. I, I I don't know. I'll, I'll we'll find out exactly what is being asked here, so that I can hopefully give a, 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 an answer. So I, I I asked the question, and I'm getting a question. I'm asking, hey, figure out the dating, and now I'm being asked something, and I I think I know where this is going, but I'm not so sure. So we'll we'll, we'll we will find out. Let's go ahead and finish it. Okay, all right. It says, too hard to explain here. Move on. Okay, they'll let me know. They'll let me know exactly what they're referring to, and we'll bring it into the next episode, or maybe we'll mention it tonight in the observational readings. All right, but we'll move on. Right now, I want you to focus on the dates, the dates, the dates, the dates, the dates, the dates. That's, I, I think, maybe we just, something interesting here. Maybe, maybe. All right, we'll see. Empire. And he says, I will turn away it's punishment because they carried away captive the whole captivity to deliver them up to Edom. And I will send a fire on the wall of Gaza, which shall devour its palaces. And I will cut off the inhabitant from Ashdod and him that holdeth the scepter from Ashkelon. And I will turn mine hand against Ekron and the remnant of the Philistines shall perish saith the Lord God. Now, here is a judgment against the Philistines. For what? For making slaves. They took a certain number of Israelites and they... This is interesting because there's disagreement on this as well. He says the judgment here is because of slavery. Uh, other commentaries say the condemnation here is not against slavery in and of itself, just as the previous oracle was not against war in and of itself. The crime is not that soldiers were enslaved after being taken in battle, which was standard practice, but that the Philistines used their temporary supremacy to enslave whole populations, soldiers and civilians, men and women, adults and children, young and old, for commercial profit. Gaza did not even need the slaves. She merely sold them to Edom for more money. Okay. Don't know if that has a lot to do here. What we need to know is, does this judgment on, let's see here, um, uh, on Gaza, does this, um, and then Ashdod, and Ashkelon, uh, and, and Ekron, does all, did all of this, does all of this, oh, I think maybe the thus saith the Lord, are you, because um, now I'm saying, thus say the Lord, I'm saying, maybe the question is, are, does all of these occur in Amos? All right, that, that, that would be interesting. Okay, all right, but now I'm getting distracted. So now the question is, we've, see, we've got some possible dating issues with the first so-called prophecy. Now the second one, do we know when this was fulfilled? Do we know when the second judgment was fulfilled? Do we have anything? Let's see if he if he tells us where this, when, and where this was. Do we have a record of this being fulfilled? They sold them into slavery to Edom and actually to Phoenicia. That's where they ultimately ended up. The Phoenicians were great traders, 
and they in turn would sell them as prisoners of war into slavery. And they would send them all over, actually, the Mediterranean world. And because of that, why God says he intends to judge this place. It's quite interesting that what we know today as the Gaza Strip is still an unknown quantity. It's an Arab area that's now under the control of Israel, but they're having a real problem with it, of course. But Ashdod and Ashkelon are still in Israel. And today you will find that in Ashdod there is a great refinery that has been put there and a new harbor has been made there. That will become probably a more important shipping place than even Haifa has become. It is, I think, probably better located. And Ashkelon is right south of it. There you still can see the remains of the Temple of Dagon, where Samson was. All of these are quite real places. And again, the judgment of God came upon these places, just as God said that it would. He says, I'll send a fire on the wall of Gaza, which shall devour its palaces. And if we turn back to Second Kings again, this time to the 18th chapter at verse 8. Now, this is the historical record of Hezekiah. He smote the Philistines, even unto Gaza, and the borders thereof, from the tower of the watchman to the fenced city. And it goes on to say how he destroyed that particular area. All of this was, you see, literally fulfilled. Here you have really an example. All right, so he points to Second Kings 18 as fulfillment. So the same assignment is still in effect, right? The same assignment still applies. I need you to figure out when do the events of Second Kings occur and when did Amos give his prophecy? All right. Now, when the book was written, when did he speak the words? Right. Okay. So when did he speak the words in contrast to when the events of Second Kings occurred? Does Amos speak the words prior to the events of Second Kings or after? If after, these are not prophecies. These are reminders. And uh, someone just said, okay, I think what they're asking, the thus saith the Lord, do they all, they all seem to appear in Amos. Okay, that, that could be interesting. And all right, we, 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 we will definitely do something with that. But right now, I want to make sure the focus is on this dating situation that's arising here, which I, 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 I have been waiting for someone to go, but wait a minute. When did, I was waiting for someone to at least raise the question. Now, it may not be an issue. It may be an issue. I, I'm not telling you one way or the other. You got to let me know. I, I'm going to see who's going to uh, tell me first today. Also, a fulfilled prophecy. That makes this section here particularly interesting. And it puts down a pattern for the way God will fulfill prophecy in the future. Now, we he's referring to it as prophecy that Amos is giving a prophecy that was fulfilled in 2 Kings. Meaning that Amos is speaking to it, speaking it prior to the event occurring. 
that that's the that's the way he just Im- Im- implied, right? Am, am I am I missing? If I'm missing anything, if I'm if I'm confusing this, let me know. But it's something. Look, I look the thi- one the only thing I'm good at is raising the questions. Okay, I may not be good at anything else, but I'm good at raising the. Qu- I'm the one sitting in the class going, "Wait, I got a question. Wait, I got a question. I got a question. I got a question. I got a question." All, all I'm good at is asking the questions. But someone's got to ask the question. Just, I mean, come on, we. We've got to, this is key in how we interpret this entire section. We come in verse 9 here to another, that is, the judgment against Phoenicia. And the judgment against them is not only for selling slaves, because you see, the Philistines sold them to Phoenician, Phoenician turn, sold them out in the world. They were great tradesmen of the world of that day. But the important thing for breaking their treaty, you see, they had a treaty with Israel. Hiram, king of Tyre, had been a personal friend of David, and they had enjoyed a great deal of friendship, not only worked together, they stood together. But now they've broken the treaty. Now let me begin reading here, and I'll begin reading chapter 1 now, verse 9. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Tyre, and for four. Now that, again, I must repeat, is an idiomatic expression, meaning not just giving them ad seriatim. He says, I'm not going to give one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten reasons, but three for four, and he said, I could just list probably a hundred, but the main ones he will mention. I will not turn away its punishment because they delivered up the whole captivity to Edom and remembered not the brotherly covenant. In other words, they broke a covenant that they had with Israel. But I will send a fire on the wall of Tyre, which will devour its palaces. Now, I'm not going into detail here because we did that before of how God judged Tyre. First, the Assyrian came against Tyre. He was not able to take the city. There's been a question whether Nebuchadnezzar did or not, but I think it's conceded that what Nebuchadnezzar did, he forced the Tyrians, and this was the great city of the Phoenicians, to retire to an island that was out some distance, probably a mile or maybe not over a half a mile. I've walked that distance through there several times, and I don't think it could be a a mile. But anyway... They were retired out to that island, and they built their city there, and Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the old city that was on the mainland. And then uh, about 250... So Nebuchadnezzar, and then someone else comes along. Does anyone know who comes along to destroy Tyre? Does anyone know? Does anyone know? Oh, come on, you got to know this. You probably learned it in school. Right? Even, you're saying, I didn't go to a Christian school. I know. You probably it's, you learn it in secular history. Let, let's see who he names. Let's see if I'm right. The years later, Alexander the Great came along. He saw that. Ding, 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 ding. Alexander the Great. When did Alexander the Great destroy Tyre? If that's the fulfillment of this, then is this one future or is this one past? Now you got to know the dates of Alexander the Great destroying the city of Tyre. 
You, if you if you read the description of that destruction of it in the Bible, and then look at what Alexander the Great did, it's ear it is so eerie how like literally literal and perfect it is. But let, let's see what he has to say here. City very prosperous, very wealthy out on the island. So he built a causeway, and he fulfilled Ezekiel's prophecy because God says they'll absolutely scrape the ground of old Tyre, and they'll throw it in the ocean. Well, he took all of that, and he made a causeway out to the island, and he took it and destroyed it. That brought Tyre to an end. This was literally fulfilled concerning Tyre. And I think it's quite interesting that it only mentions Tyre here, he goes on to say, here in connection with Tyre and Edom, will you listen, verse 9, Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Tyre, for four, I will not turn away its punishments. I can tell you this. I'll help you with the, I'll help you with the destruction of Tyre. The siege of Tyre was orchestrated by Alexander the Great in 322 BC during his campaigns against the Persians. Uh, and the Macedonian army was unable to capture the city, which was a strategic coastal base on the Mediterranean Sea through conventional means because it was an island and had walls right up to the sea. And you can read all about it. You don't even need any biblical sources. You can read about it. It's just, now the Bible gives the prophecy of the destruction of Tyre. So is, that, is what Amos is referring to there, is, re, is he referring to what Alexander the Great was going to do or what Nebuchadnezzar did? Now you you so we need to find out what when Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the, the 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 city and then they retreated out to the island fortress and then two hundred and something what two hundred and fifty years later Alexander the Great comes along so which one is Amos referring to which one is he referring to now if it's so you got to have the date of when Nebuchadnezzar came against Tyre and then two hundred and fifty years later so if it's two hundred and fifty years later. 322 BC, you back it up, you 250 years before that. Now contrast that date with when Amos speaks his words. So is and here's here's gonna and here's what you're gonna have to follow. If some of these judgments are not pr- prophetic but are reminders, and some of them are, do you see how this could lead to lots of questions in interpreting this? because they delivered up the whole captivity to Edom and remembered not the brotherly covenant. But I will send a fire on the wall of Tyre, which shall devour its palaces. And that's a very interesting expression, you see, that the very walls would be torn down. Then he moves immediately now to Edom. And the judgment against Edom is because of a revengeful spirit. And back of revenge is ordinarily jealousy. And they were jealous of their brother. You see, Edom was Esau, and Israel is Jacob, and they were twin brothers. Verse 11, Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Edom, and for four, I will not turn away its punishment, because he did... Just notice what's interesting here is... He's not giving, he, like he, two of the judgments, he points to 2 Kings. One, 2 Kings 10, which I think it should be actually 2 Kings 16. Then he points to 2 Kings 18, but it doesn't give the, he doesn't deal with the dating 
He doesn't give, if, if 2 Kings is the fulfillment, then was Amos offering a prophecy? Is he offering a reminder? Then he goes to the destruction of Tyre and he says, that's Alexander the Great. Okay, well then was that past or future as well? He's not dealing with any of the possible dating situations here in this chapter. So we're gonna, we may have to do some sermon reviews and see how many pastors deal with the dating it would be interesting to know. Like, I may just choose three random sermons on Amos chapter one. Remember, we did the three random sermons on Mark two and saw like nobody addressed the massive issue here. You know, well, like what what's going on here? We got some major issues in Mark two twenty six, right? But no, 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 nobody addressed. It. They just ignore them, right? Like, we're not going to talk about that. It, 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 I'm assuming someone has to talk about this issue. Someone, all right? So it would be interesting if we just choose three random, what would we find? We could, we could, joking, but we could take bets. We could take bets. All right, come on. $50, $50, which one? Are they going to address it or not address it? And then no matter what the answer is, I get everyone's money. Okay, all right. No, I'm joking. All right, here we go. Sue is brother with a sword and did cast off all pity and his anger did tear perpetually, and he kept his wrath forever. But I will send a fire upon Teman, which shall devour the palaces of Basra. Now, the thing is that Teman, in the rock-hewn city of Petra there, everything has been destroyed that would burn, but actually the city was hewn out of the rock. But the palaces of Basra, they've been devoured. They have disappeared. In other words, this prophecy against Edom has been literally fulfilled. And it was because of their revenge. Literally fulfilled when? When was it fulfilled? After Amos speaks these words or before Amos speaks these words? Inquiring mind would like to know. Vengeful spirit, jealous of their brother, that is, of Israel. Now we come again to another nation, Ammon, the Ammonites. And if you'll notice that we're actually moving around almost in a circle. We began with Syria, came over to Phoenicia, went down to the Philistines, and we now move over to Edom on the south, and then the Ammonites were in that area also. And now here's the judgment against the Ammonites. And what is God's judgment against them? Well, theirs was a violent crime. We are going to see that. Let me read. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of the children of Ammon, and for four, I will not turn away their punishment." because they have ripped up the women with child in Gilead. Now, the Ammonites were over on the east bank, and they, in turn, joined with the Syrians in fighting against the two and a half tribes over there that were in the land of Gilead. And they did that, that they might enlarge their border. But I will kindle a fire in the wall of Rabbah, and it shall devour its palaces with shouting in the day of battle, with a tempest in the day of the whirlwind. And their king shall go into captivity, he and his princes together 
saith the Lord. Now, this is God's judgment against the Ammonites. And I think probably we ought to turn back and see how this was literally fulfilled. I go back now to Second Kings again, but to the eighth chapter of Second Kings, verses 12. Okay, so the assignment is going to remain the same today, class. It's the same assignment. I need you to find when do the events of 2 Kings occur? If this is the fulfillment, right, then did the fulfillment happen before Amos or did it happen after Amos speaks these words? Because many times it says, Amos is giving a prophecy, a prophecy. Well, when when does Amos prophesy and when do the events of 2 Kings occur? Because so far, three of these judgments, the fulfillment is supposedly found in 2 Kings. It keeps being put forth as a prophecy, but which comes first? Do the events of 2 Kings come after Amos speaks this prophecy or before? You've got to figure out the dates. Whoever, I want to know who will find the answer first, okay? Which student is going to be <laughs> the one who's going to win nothing, okay? I, I, I almost want a bribe, but see, I, I feel like if I give away something just to get an answer, no, that the answer is your is your prize because you're you're figuring out how maybe best to interpret a chapter in the Bible that I think in many a, a lot of preaching and devotional material is not handled correctly. But you can tell me what you find, all right? So when do the events of Second Kings occur? The events occur, and when did Amos speak his prophecy or his words in Amos chapter one? Prophecy or reminder? That's what we're going to have to determine. All right, right, let's, let's, let's finish this. 12 and 13. Now, let me read these. And Haziel said, Why weepeth my Lord? And he answered, Because I know the evil that thou wilt do unto the children of Israel. Their strong hopes wilt thou set on fire, and their young men wilt thou slay with the sword, and will dash their children, rip up their women with child. And Haziel said, But what, is thy servant a dog, that he should do this great thing? And Elisha answered, The Lord hath showed me that thou shalt be king over Syria. In other words, the prophet said to him, You say that only a dog would do that thing. Well, you're going to do it. And whether this man was a dog or not, he did the very thing he said only a dog would do. And as we read here, that he would do to the children of Israel and dash their children, rip up their women with child. That was an awful, horrible thing. And that was the crime of the Ammonites, by the way. All right, that concludes Chapter one. Now he he left us with plenty of questions, and I understand he was trying to make it through the entire Bible in five years. I understand how J. Vernon McGee, you know, did this. the The thing is, it 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 just brought a, a major issue to the forefront, which is that's that's why we do these kinds of things. So your assignment today is just figure out the dating. All right, Amos. When does he speak his words? When does he speak the, the, the I'm just going to call them the words. When does he speak these words of judgment against the nations? And now you've got Alexander. Now, is it when the, the destruction on Tyre? Is it Nebuchadnezzar who went after the city of Tyre that was on land? Or was it Alexander the Great 
who went after the sea fortress of Tyre. Okay. Now I, I either date, either date before the words of Amos or after the words of Amos. And then the other judgments seem to all be fulfilled in second Kings. Now the events of second Kings before uh, Amos or after uh, the words of Amos. So your focus today is figuring out when, what year Nebuchadnezzar went after Tyre, what year, and I've already given you the year for Alexander the Great, and then what's, what year did the events, what are the years that, that are covered in the events of Second Kings, and what year did, years did Amos speak his words? There you go. I don't know if it's going to, uh, okay, uh, well, so, uh, well, we'll, I, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see how this goes, all right? I was going to re- respond to some things in the chat, but I'll just leave it there and see what people discover. Now, my, the goal tonight at 7 p.m. is we're supposed to continue our observational reading at Victory Baptist Church, <laughs> but I have a feeling that maybe we won't get to the observational reading, and we may be working on some dating issues. <laughs> we will see. We will see. We will see. Oh, I, I, uh, it'll be interesting how many emails I received before 7 p.m. Central Time. So if you've got anything to say about this, email me before 7 p.m. Central Time and make sure your email is, is I won't give your name, but there's a good chance your email may show up <laughs> tonight at, at, at the pulpit of Victory Baptist Church as we continue our work on the book of Amos. I, I, I find this very interesting. I don't know if anyone else is going to find it interesting. Uh, but that's the way the Bible study exercise works, right? I do a little bit of the work and I place it before your capable hands. It's to get you off the couch, actually studying. That's the goal of the Bible study exercise. This entire series, what, almost 400 messages now in the Bible study exercises, trying to get people to actually study the Bible with assignments, homework, curriculum, and some teaching and just a combination of things. So you've got your, you've got your assignments class today. Your, your assignments have been given to you all of you in the class today. So get to get busy, get to work. And I'll, I'd like to hear from you before 7 p.m. tonight because I'm just curious. I'm curious where I'm, I, I don't think there can be any dispute here. I, I think the dates are pretty fixed. So I don't think anyone can argue here. I, I don't think so. I, I, I don't think it, it will be interesting to see what the responses are. All right. And, and please relay to me how you've heard Amos chapter one preached in the past. I mean, if you've gone to church, you've heard Amos chapter one preached, right? How was it preached? How, how have you heard it uh, quoted maybe in devotional books? I, I'm just curious what your perception was and now what actually studying of it may do to that perception. All right. Email me newsif at yahoo.com newsif at yahoo.com newsif at yahoo.com. We'll definitely be back somewhere in the afternoon with a another live broadcast and then 7 p.m. tonight live streaming, obviously, as we work on Amos. And uh, who knows, sometimes you get a late night live broadcast. I, look, just download the Church One app and search for Theology Central and make us your chosen broadcaster. Have all the notifications on because Look, you're like, when do you go live? Well, pretty much whenever I want to, which is, seems to be all the time, right? I mean, we're working like around 1,000 episodes per year. So, I mean, that's a, that's a lot of work. So, uh, hopefully, we, we produce something that's beneficial. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. And uh, can't wait. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check my email right now. I better already have like 100 emails. I better already have 100. 
If I don't have 100, I'm going to be disappointed. Start emailing now, newsif at yahoo.com. Thanks for listening. God bless.